welcome everybody to another edition of Illinois with Bird and Cam. Bird, as always, and with me is Cam. Cam, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, St. Patrick's Day celebrations tomorrow. Right, right, right. So I'm excited, and we're going to a concert this weekend, so that's exciting too. Ooh, so, so who's going to be performing? We're seeing Shine Down. Um, Why do they sound Papa familiar? Roach and Asking Papa Roach. Alexandria. Oh. Mm-hmm. oh, I remember when pa- so so so. Uh, I play a wrestling theme to enter this, and Papa Roach had did like one of the theme songs for for WWE Raw. So, um, yeah. Papa Roach is pretty awesome. Yeah, I, wanna, wanna I love Shine Down too. They did that. So, like, that's the only reason I know Papa Roach. But, yeah, guys, again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, what's your feedback on the last episode we did on the Chicago serial killer? I I, I really like the idea. I really do. Like, I'm still, like, I'm going to be saying, like, a lot because I don't have a full thought. So, oh, bear no, with me. Oh, no, by all means, by all means. Um, I feel like something is going on. However, I still have this weird feeling that not all of those murders were like related, mm-hmm. but I do feel like majority of them were. Yeah, this is one of those things that it you have to be really naive to think that all of them were by 50 different people like it's way as you say yeah. i'm about to botch this it's too much I, I i don't really believe in coincidence yeah exactly but in people too like everyone goes oh well it's chicago it's so big you're right we are a big city but that doesn't the way people get murdered i guess you can say in the city that's i i, I guess it's not as common as you know, uh, gunfight. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, just the MO is just way too particular. Exactly. And it's, and it's, it's particular because it's, you know, also women, it's all in public areas, but at the same time, secluded public areas. Right. Um, so, it's it's confusing because okay, that's a lot of strangulations, and it's kind of coincidental because at the same time, you find a pattern. We found a pattern that you know this individual strangles for what one, two, three months, disappears for six, mm-hmm. goes on for a year. You know they yeah, they get some bunches, yeah, and they would in some cases would have like it would be like in a twenty four hour span. So it's yeah. just. In 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 just a small radius. Exactly. So I feel like there's there's definitely a connection, and I definitely think you know everyone who's being suffocated with a bag over their heads connected, um, and I definitely think that's even some of um, you know just the original strangulations were connected too. So I really, I'm really excited to see how that plays out and see where that investigation goes. Yeah. That's something we're really going to keep an eye out on. So, um, tonight's episode, uh, well today, depending on when you listen to this, Oh man, where do we even begin on this one? Uh, retrospect. Like I was, when I was doing the research and I was doing the notes, it was just so, fucking depressing and you know how bad it is when i'm doing this on my work on my lunch break at work and i'm just waiting i can't wait for for lunch break to be over so i get back to work just it was just so just morbid you know and this and it it relates right back to the same thing i me being a woman i'm like well god damn it right he this guy Honestly, the way he grew up, he should not be mad at women. He should be mad at his freaking self, his own own men, because he he treats women like shit for no reason. There's no reason. Yeah. And what he did to them, there was no reason, and it just makes me so so angry. Yeah, it makes me so angry. It's just one of those things. Is that, and I remember 
I want to say I was like eight or nine years old when I first saw this case or they did like a documentary on this case and I was watching it with my mom and of course it was like 10 or 11 o'clock at night and I don't know why I remember these things the way they were but like I just remembered I had to sleep with the lights on that night and I was pleading with my mom please please I just want to sleep with the lights I could I'm just it was just that it's something that sticks with you all these years and, later and you know honestly what stuck with me was that video that you sent me oh because, and we'll save that we'll for part two yeah, but we'll like, go into detail oh yes that. and particularly that video and oh my lord it's huh. but I, it's just fascinating because the serial killers we've really reviewed and discussed, they they almost act as if they're better than everyone, you know, yeah. even after they get caught. They still feel like they are invincible and they're better than everyone. And I go into my whole banter about, you know, evolution still. And But Robert, or Robert, excuse me, <laughs> um, he just turns like dismissive Richard just turns dismissive when he goes to jail and and really really tries to blend in to to try and survive versus everybody all the serial killers we right. hear you know from Ted Bundy to Dahmer to Gacy that they were I mean they're pretty intimidating pretty I mean people don't get me wrong Dahmer got killed in jail and and Ted Bundy was extremely arrogant, and same with Gacy, but it's just and interesting. Think, yeah, in the, in the cases of those, and as we will elaborate more in the second part of uh, this saga story, what have you, and, and there is a reason behind that, because they know they're going to be put to death, and this case is going to be very, very uh, controversial in how the um the aftermath of this whole ordeal turns out but that said um and before we dwell into this story um hit the good folks with a disclaimer will you good man absolutely well hello again guys um especially too because this is a new um not exactly new but this uh Richard Speck's been in the uh, news as of late. So all this information that we're gathering is from new art news articles, um, internet sources, notes, uh, things of that nature. So what we're finding, if you don't feel is correct or is incorrect or you have more information, just let us know. You can hit us up at Illinois with Bird and Cam. We're just here to do our job and that's report. Um, again, if there's false information, more information, or if you're just simply offended, let us know. We'll do our best to correct it for you guys. So can't say that any better than you. So that's it. You know where to, to find do... us. And that's <laughs> Illinois. With the... You doing? You ready to do the damn thing? <laughs> that's right, bitch. I'm ready to do the damn thing. Alrighty. <laughs> so we talk about. Richard Benjamin Speck, who was born in the town of Kirkwood, Illinois, the seventh of eight children to Benjamin Franklin Speck and Mary Margaret Speck on December 6, 1941. So for any of you history buffs, that's literally a day before Pearl Harbor. That's one way to enter this world. And shortly after being born, the Speck family moved to Monmouth, Illinois, and that's about Three-hour drive from Chicago, same same distance from like Springfield. Shit, it's actually right. It's not right by Springfield, really? but it's, I'm thinking yeah, it's, it's gonna be like way fucking like east or something like that. I've never heard of Monmouth. I think it. I think it is east, but I, I've heard a couple people when we were in Springfield that said they were from there. There's a college, or is it? I don't know if it's actually Monmouth College or Blackburn College. Mm -hmm. I think Blackburn College is in Monmouth. Um, but yeah, I've heard it before. I've definitely heard it. And mm -hmm. I think I've driven through it before. Well, pardon fucking me. Um, Speck grew <laughs> up in God a... damn it, <laughs> Speck grew up in a religious household and Mary was a teetotaler who raised her older children not to drink. And Richard, uh, was described as being very close with his father growing up. But unfortunately, Benjamin would die of a heart attack in 1948 when Richard was only six 
And that would obviously be a turning point in his life as we get along into the story. And Mary would eventually move on and remarry. And though his six older siblings would stay near Monmouth, Richard and his younger sister, Carolyn, left for Dallas, Texas to live with his mother and her new husband, Carl Lindbergh. And we were discussing earlier is how, what is the age difference from the first six children and Richard and Caroline? Because usually you travel as a family together, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, but, and that's the thing, you know, they, 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 in the thirties and the forties, they had to be like, you know, I don't know what the vibe was then, but you're on your yeah, own. Yeah, it had like, to be different. Yeah. Yeah. But um, Carl Lindbergh was a door-to-door salesman from Sweden who actually lost his left leg in an a- accident. And even more differently um, is that Lindbergh was actually an alcoholic. So as you can see right there, uh, Speck, who was without a father, moved to Texas, and now his alcohol is a daily living environment. He pretty much went through some big changes and... That is pretty much what we like to say, pretty different from what his siblings went through. And mm-hmm. from that moment on, it only gets worse. And he ended up having a tumultuous and violent relationship with Lindbergh, who, again, um, drank a lot of liquor. So Speck was breaking into a secret liquor cabinet that Lindbergh actually hid from his wife. And on many occasions, he, uh, Speck actually threatened to take Lindbergh, Lindbergh's crutch and bash his head. So you can see that he really hates his stepfather. And surprise, surprise, Speck actually becomes just like him, a drunk. Um, Speck actually dropped out of school at 16 to work at various odd manual jobs. And during this time, he actually had runs with a local gang who does all the things you normally would in a 50s gang. Get in fights, get tattoos, you know, slick back hairs, be overly promiscuous. You know, seeing numbers from Greece fly away in cars. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not those last two ones, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but what is no laughing matter is that, according to authors Dennis Brio's 2016 edition of his 1993 book, The Crime of the Century, Speck was arrested at this camp 41 times. 41 times? Who gets that many chances By the nowadays? time he was 25. 41 times? Like, that is... It's fucking a ridiculous. personal record. And, you have to try to be arrested 41 times. Right, and this isn't like fucking jaywalking or anything like this. It, it ranged from domestic violence, breaking and entering, burglaries, forged checks, robbery. So in other words, this is a professional criminal for all intents and purposes. And in the meantime, Speck had married at 19, uh, had a child, and divorced only four years after that. And he had been physically violent towards his not only his wife, but his ex-mother-in-law as well. So, I mean, this is very... He's becoming his stepfather. And like you just said, it's just... Wow. And by the time he was... Mm-hmm. By the time he turns 25, he has an arrest warrant in his name in two states. And his probation, probation officer described it best. When Speck is drinking, he will fight or threaten anybody as long as he has a knife or a gun. And when he's sober or unarmed, he couldn't face down a mouse. So keep that in mind for when we continue on with this. So let's fast forward to the summer of 1966. Chicago has had a... In, yeah, we get to Chicago. So he at this, at this point, he moves to his uh, sister's house in Chicago. And Chicago is really a melting pot pretty much for all the wrong reasons. They've had a ridiculous heat wave for the last few weeks, like a span of multiple 90 degree days. And just the thought of that is mm-hmm. making me morbidly uncomfortable that summer. Uh, so much sweat is coming. You had um, near race riots when you had Martin Luther King um, doing you know marches and protesting. It was just... A very, very, very uh, escalating uh, situation there, and like it was just the um, in in early June, there was a situation where like seven cops had 
they were in a firefight and seven cops had been shot. So it was like a lot of crazy shit. No different from the summer in Chicago in 2018, 2017. Like, it was just a lot of shit going on, right? And he seemed to be involved with a lot of it. Oh, I found it I found it kind of funny that, you know, um, when Speck, you know, Speck is drinking, he'll get in a fight with anyone. But... Only if he has a weapon on him. Oh, so, yeah. like, see, and that's the thing. Like, I, 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 there's been occasions where you know I've seen you drunk and you were you were ready to throw down. I don't need a weapon, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But exactly, you don't need a weapon. But like when you're when you're like sober, you wouldn't like you wouldn't even harm, couldn't face down a mouse. So it's just I can see that that liquor courage and that you know. But yeah, it's true. Really, but like I also have a very vibrant personality so like even if you've never seen me drunk you kind of are like i don't know if i want to fight her yeah something to that effect i'm just being a dick now but as <laughs> i've we... learned how to control my anger over the years oh, so. well i'll drink to that pal um <laughs> speck has been living with his sister as we said martha speck thornton her husband gene and their two teenage daughters tanessa and kendra for the last four months at a second floor apartment at 3966 North Avondale. So you can imagine, you got one, what, five people. Uh, it's a very cramped living situation. And it's a really taxing time for the Thorntons, who for months have been trying to get Speck to find a job. So around the same year, um, in 1966, on June 30th, uh, Thorne actually drove Speck to National Maritime Union Hiring Hall um, at 2335 East 100th Street um, in the Jeffrey Manor neighborhood. And this was for him to file uh, his paperwork for a seaman's card. A seaman's card. Uh, I know, no pun intended. Uh, the N, uh, NMU hiring hall was actually one block east of a five-attached two-story brick out, townhouse. And nearby were actually three of which were occupied by uh, South uh, Chicago Community Hospital senior student nurses and a Filipino exchange registered nurse. So do save those details for later. Um, actually, eight of these nurses that lived in these townhouses um, were just 150 feet from the uh, NMU hiring hall. So again, guys, keep that note. Um, on Friday, July 8, 1966, Speck's brother-in-law, Gene, drove him again to the NMU hiring hall to pick up his Siemens card and get him registered for a berth on his ship. Speck ended up losing out that day to a different seaman who had more seniority uh, for a berth on the SS Flying Spray. And that was actually a C-1A cargo ship, which was bound for South Vietnam. Speck ended up returning to his sister Martha's apartment for that weekend. On that Monday, July 11th, Speck had outstayed his welcome with his sister Martha and her family. He packed his bags, and again, he was being driven by his brother-in-law to the NMU hiring hall to wait a berth on the ship. And Speck stayed a night at Pauline's rooming house, which was a mile away and was at 3028 East 96th uh, Street in the Vets Park neighborhood of the South Deer in Chicago. Yeah, that's right by the, uh, oh boy, 95th, like in South Chicago, where they have the um, the bridge. I don't know if you ever passed that, but like, yeah, you, you guys know from Chicago, like you know that spot. But um, on July uh, 12th, Speck returned to the hiring hall, and then later that day, he received an assignment in St. Clair's Oils Tanker, SS St. Clair Great Lakes, which was only about a 30-minute drive away in East Chicago, Indiana. I was like, well, East Chicago, but so many East Chicago places. You think of the East <laughs> it's like St. Louis and East St. Louis. Right. It's, yeah, because, like, it's, you know, that area is East Chicago. I didn't know so many cities did that. Like, growing up, I thought cities were one in one state you know chicago east chicago st louis east st louis uh right. kansas city uh kansas city missouri mm -hmm. so um yeah yeah right back to the story so when he arrived there he found that his spot had already been taken and he was getting back to the hiring hall which was then closed and spock didn't have enough money for a rooming house so 
He dropped his bags off six uh, blocks east of the Manor Shell Filling Station on 99th uh, 54 St. Torrance Avenue and slept in an unfinished house just off East 103rd Street. And the following day, July 13th, Speck picked up his bags and checked in the hiring hall. Obviously, you know, being passed over uh, an assignment, he's royally pissed. And he talks... He's kind of screwed here. Yeah, and he talks with his, uh, with his brother-in-law saying, hey, you know, can you help me uh, try to figure this mess out, and um, they, him, Gene, and Martha, uh, arrives later that day, and they park on East 100 and wait, long day, East 100th Street, next to Luella Elementary School, across the street down from the townhouses where the nurses had lived, and at 10.30 a.m., he's tired of waiting at the hiring hall for a job, he took $75 from his sister and walked to the Shipyard Inn Hotel, uh, East 101st Street and Avenue Inn. So, like, yeah, I mean, again, he's just, it's one of those things is that he's waiting, you know, to get a hire, uh, get hired to do this assignment. And you're just lounging there and you're not, you know, getting anything back. And, I mean... He's getting antsy, he's getting irritated, he's getting bothered. I would probably do the same thing in the sense of, you know, I'm independent, I can do this myself, like, screw you guys, you don't care, whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, as you were saying, uh, Speck was able to get a room um, at a Chicago rooming house, but... Speck did what he did best, and he spent the rest of the day drinking. And again, as his probation officer had said earlier, once he's a drunk, he becomes a different man, which you have that whole saying, you know, drunken mind speaks a sober heart. So is he drunk, different man, or is he becoming who he really is? Mm. Um, So during that entire day, he would walk down the street and he ended up having an encounter with a woman named Ella May Hooper. And she was a 53 year old who actually had been, who actually spent the day drinking as well. And she was at similar bars that Speck had frequented. According to what Hooper would actually tell the police in her given statement, Speck ambushed her at knife point and without any provocation, he starts saying, where do you think I'm taking you somewhere to rape you? But that's exactly what he did. As Speck took her back to the shipyard inn, he raped her, stole her black $16 mail order, 22 caliber pistol. And then after all that, he goes back to another bar. And he continues to get drunk. And let's just say at that point, he's pretty hammered. Mm-hmm. And he actually encounters a construction worker by the name of Patrick Walsh. And Walsh was out with his brother Jim and a friend named Richard Olivia. And all the guys were playing pool. However, Walsh actually sees Speck staring a hole at him. And out of nowhere, Speck decides to brandish the twenty-two and box if he's going to shoot Walsh. This obviously prompts Walsh to confront Speck, which I don't know if I would confront him or leave the entire building. Um, but Speck, who did the normal ghoul and uh, charm, convinced him that it's just all fun and games. And again, Walsh would later say that Olivia, who was actually sergeant in the U.S. Army on leave from Vietnam, actually asked if he needed a handle Speck. But Walsh actually thought Speck was harmless and wanted him to be left be. So, so, so kind of imagine if you were at a bar, right? And somebody just fucking just pulled a gun out on you. No, I would leave. I wouldn't even try and start a fight with that yeah. person. And, and it also makes you, it also makes you wonder, like, what if, like, the sergeant or the guy on the, the soldier, like, actually, you know, fucking confronted him, and it just makes you yeah. wonder what what would have changed. You know, obviously, you probably wouldn't be, you know, sitting here talking about this. Yeah, and I bet you too, like. To them, they probably didn't probably thought it was harmless. But like now, you look back on it, I bet you their guts were like, "No, nah, dude, this is this is not okay." Uh-huh. 
So around 10.20 p.m., Speck leaves the bar and proceeds to walk about 30 minutes, and he finds, he walks into the nurse's townhouse at 2319 East 100th Street. And I said, let's just talk about uh, the nurses for a second to tie everything in. Um, Valentina Passion, uh, 24, came from the tiny Philippine rural town of Jones City, about uh, 150 miles north of Manila. And she was one of six children born to a school teacher and his wife. And the family was so poor that she had to wait two years to enter college while her older brother finished his education. Although shy and reserved, she had two admirers in Manila, a doctor and dentist, and she wrote to them both. Uh, once she had sent the dentist a recording by American singer Jerry Vale, who was a favorite of theirs, and teased it by her friends uh, in America, in response, she joked, it will be my first and last gift to him. So. How ironic, too. Yeah. Then we have Merlita Gargulo. Uh, she was 23, and she grew up on Mindoro Island. And she was actually the oldest of nine children, and she was from a very poor family. Like Valentina, she was also shy and reserved. But she did have a beautiful voice, and she loved to sing and dance. She actually taught her Filipino friends how to do the latest American dance craze. The Holy Gully. I don't remember the Holy Gully. No, it's way before um, time. Remember, it's the Yeah, I remember. I've heard the jerk. but That's so the not Holy the jerk you're thinking jerk. of. Um, but... Uh, Merlita actually wrote home about how she was being treated at the hospital. She stated, I received Mark says, you're so pretty. And whenever I meet male patients, the first thing he'll ask is, oh, do you have a boyfriend? Oh, you're so pretty. And I can't answer all at once, she would say. And um, then, you know, the male patient would say, well, do you want me to fix you up? Or one of the nurses here told me that, you know, it means he's going to look for somebody for me. And that's probably something she's never been used to either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine it being coming from the Philippines to America. Like, I don't know how the... Yeah, the, cultural... the whole different right. yeah, culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cora uh, Amaro, 23, who grew up in the tiny village of Durango, a rough rural area about 50 miles of uh, Manila. And she was one of eight children who was... Uh... Oh, boy. She was fun-loving, open, and a deeply religious Roman Catholic. Catholic, I said Catholic. Like, what the fuck is a Catholic? <laughs> yeah, long day. She folks. was long religious. Day. A Catholic. There we go. Like Merlita and Valentina, her native language was Tagalog, a high-pitched and sing-song Filipino dialect. But she and the others had studied English since the first grade, and no one and so spoke and understood it. Then you have um, Pamela Wilkening, uh, who was 20. She was also known as Willie to her friends. She actually once told a friend, I want to be more than, or be a excuse me, I want to be a nurse more than anything in the world. She actually joined all class activities and tended to blend in with her classmates. She was the class representative to Student Nurse Association of Illinois. She actually helped select the class motto with, which was from a Robert Holm, and it stated, and miles uh, to go before I sleep. Following um, by Pamela, we have Gloria Davy, who's 22. And you could call her the class golden girl. Gloria had always been a leader with an independent turn of mind. And in high school in Dyer, Indiana, she had been considered the sweetheart, the sweetheart of the future farmers of America. So... I don't know if that's like one of those high school awards or like yeah that's something like the so fucking 1960s like yeah like, i don't know if it was like prom queen or like you know pageant queen or whatever but mm-hmm. it was a but big think about thing it, it's in farming time. in indiana so like rural in yeah Midwest. Like it's so just... she was well known in in her rural town in indiana mm-hmm. um following all these accomplishments she's also uh head of the cheerleading squad and she actually uh, wrote columns on teenagers for the local paper. Uh, along with that, she volunteered to work as a nurse's aide in Our Lady of Mercy Hospital. And before enrolling as a nursing student, she had attended NIU in DeKalb, which is Northern Illinois University. Everybody knows what NIU is. Well, people who are outside of the state of Illinois might not. Oh, well, you know, fair enough. Hey, man, we never know. We might have some news like, oh. 
Yeah, we might have some people outside of Illinois. Um, my how, brother went to NIU though. So how how dare we trying to trying to like just box all our viewers in? I have lots of relatives who went there um, to NIU, so um, shout out represents Calvin. forever. Um, but anyways, Gloria was actually president of the Student Nursing Association of Illinois for um, the nineteen sixty five to nineteen sixty six year. And she was actually considering joining the Peace Corps. You could pretty much say she was a perfectionist, and she would always resell buttons that were slightly out of line. Um, she always looked forward to graduating, being able to custom tailor her nursing uniforms. And she always wanted to change the ones that were provided to her by the hospital. Um, in her opinion, they were always slightly off. Hmm. And in her free time, Gloria really liked to study philosophy and she wrote poetry so she was really a go-getter mm -hmm. um suzanne ferris 21 uh what panic planned a career in, in nursing um she was high-spirited liked irish jokes and pranks and she often said about herself susie is susie and she's always irish um <laughs> It sounds just like you. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Except uh, I say I'm Cameron is Cameron. She's always Polish. Oh, boy. I'm just, I'm just on a roll. Just racially profiling you. Like, God. Um, Mary Ann Jordan, 21, who was actually best friends with Suzanne Ferris and was, in fact, the sister of Ferris's fiance. And the two were meeting uh, on June 13, 1966 to discuss wedding details as Jordan was the only nurse who didn't live in the townhouse. Nina Shamel, 23, was very devout, noting that her Catholic friends all wore religious medals. She made one saying, I'm a Lutheran. She came from a prominent family in Wheaton, Illinois, and studied chemistry. Represent, that's where my mom lives, Wheaton. <laughs> and studied uh, chemistry at Elmhurst College before enrolling as a nurse. In a 2016 interview, Dr. John Schmell, the brother of Nina, talking by phone in downstate Illinois to ABC7 Chicago, summed up the women as saying, dedicated, wanted to be nurses. They were excited about going out and, you know, saving the world. And Pat Matusik, uh, 20, was described as a hard-working student who was dedicated in pursuing a career in nursing, and she was also planning to participate in the upcoming wedding of Suzanne uh, Ferris. Now, um, back to Spec. Did, I, we miss, did we miss someone? Is no, it back it's, to those were all, yeah, back to Spec. Okay, that's why I thought I, I was a little confused, but... I did notice um, majority of the individuals we talked about were between the ages of 20 and 23. And mm -hmm. those are the, prime, I would like to say, prime ages where, you know, we really, us women really, really feel independent. Um, I mean, each year with age, I feel more independent and, you know, this is my life. But we're right at that age where we, you know, we just graduate college, going to graduate school, really start figuring out what we want to do with our life. Um, and then, you know, here comes Spec. And what Spec actually did women's day. Mm -hmm. And he pried one of them, uh, one open, uh, one back window open using the knife he had. He actually was able to open it with ease. And Pretty much with his background, he was a pretty experienced burglar. He was able to slide the screen aside and reach inside and unlock the door like it was no problem. Moments later, Cora Amuro uh, was awakened by four knocks on her door. The ceiling light was still on, and a clock on the dresser showed the time to be 11 p.m. So, a little confused, Cora unlocked the bedroom door and started to open it only to have Richard Speck, a six-foot, six 160-pound person, standing at the door. And he was standing in the center of the doorway and made it even worse because he's illuminated by the bedroom light. All Cora did was stare at him for a few moments and saw that he was dressed in black from shoulder to shoes. His short, sandy hair was combed straight back and his face was deeply pockmarked. She also saw that in his right hand, he held a small black gun. Cora actually lowered her head, turning away from it. And for the first time the young nurse had ever seen a gun, Speck asked, where are your companions? 
He then grabbed her forearm. Her roommate ended up getting out of bed, and at gunpoint, Cora and Merlita were walked down the corridor to a large bedroom at the rear of the floor. The gunman actually turned on the light and found three other women sleeping in uh, the room. In the mean, uh, in the room. In the meantime, Cora, Merlita, and awakened Valentina, um, and they rushed into a large walk-in closet of the bedroom's west wall. Speck then encountered uh, Patricia. Was it Patricia? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nina and Pamela, and after robbing the woman. He actually cut into one of the bed sheets and sliced into long strips with his knives to prove a PowerPoint. I'm not sure, a power move or what, but that's terrifying. Yeah. So Speck approaches Wilkening, uh, ties her up, places her onto the bed, and the bed close to where he was uh, cutting one of the bed sheets, and he proceeded to sexually assault her. And at that very moment, Ferris and Jordan came walking into the room, startling Speck. They fought him, but armed with a switchblade, he stabbed uh, Suzanne Ferris 18 times, 11 in the front of her chest, 7 in the back. Then he took a white nurse's stocking and strangled her. He smashed Mary Ann Jordan's left eye with his knife and then plunged into her chest three times. Speck went back into the bed where Wilkening was laying, bound and gagged, and stabbed her in the heart. Then after that, very systematically, he would lead Patricia Matusek, Nina Joshmal, Merlita Gargrell, Valentina Passion, and Gloria Davy one by one out of the room, tie and gag them all, assault them, and either stab or strangle them to death. And that's terrifying. You are literally being cattle called to be killed. And in that living room, found the nude body of Gloria Davy, lying face down on the sofa. Her hands were tied tightly behind her back, and not with the or not with the strips of the bedsheet, but with pieces of purple and white cloth cut from her blouse. These were tied tightly around her neck and knotted at the back with a strip of the sheet. And note the knots were tied very, very tight. And they were all double knotted. And they were all done very professionally. So it didn't look like this was somebody's first time doing this. Mm -hmm. And what people began to say was they couldn't even get their fingers between the cloth and the neck. It was so tight that they had to cut these knots with scissors. And as Gloria was carried down the stairs, Speck had ripped off her blouse and the stairwell was littered with buttons and fabric, as well as strips of the bedsheet that fell from Speck's neck. And semen was actually recovered from between her buttocks, and indicating that Gloria had been sodomized. So lying on her back, hands tied tightly behind her, was Pamela Wilkening. And this is what, in the aftermath, when police ended up seeing the crime scene. So just imagine, you know, these guys are like, you know, hardened... Uh, detectives and they've seen the worst and just imagine this sight eight women dead and and not just dead but just brutalized in the worst imaginable way i mean even to the heart and eye that's just something that you do never you'll never ever forget these are daughters these are you know Sisters. women these are career spoken mm-hmm. people that were mutilated destroyed just because somebody felt like doing it. Mm-hmm. So, so and that's li- bullshit. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Completely. So, lying where Gloria David was, right next to her, was Pamela Wilkening. Um, there was a gag in her mouth. One stab uh, wound in her left breast through the heart, as we said. Lying next to her face down was Suzanne Ferris. Tied tightly around her neck, double knotted at the back, was the uh, white nurse's stocking that we also mentioned earlier. Um, right next to Susan Ferris was Mary Ann Jordan on her back, a piece of bed. She clutched in her right hand as if she tried to tear it from Speck's grasp. And, you know, you get a sense that they were, as we, you know, we said it, but just imagine, you know, being just a fly. I, I don't want to imagine being that fly on the wall, but they really tried to fight, you know? Exactly. These women 
worked and fought their butt off for survival and it was it was no shot for somebody who it almost seemed like he had this satanic feel and this will to just kill and that's not a trait you should see in humans the only other time you want to kill is an animalistic feature when you're hunting for survival and that's that's not something humans do we we've evolved from that yeah going back to these women nina joe schmall was laying spread eagle on her bed her wrists were tied behind her back and her face was covered by a pillow it was bound tightly around her neck and there was another bed sheet and this bed sheet was tied in two knots at the back and her head was on a pillow, and another pillow was placed over her face, almost as Speck had tried to suffocate her. Her nightgown was pulled just below her breast, otherwise she was naked. There was three superficial stab wounds in her neck. And again, it was like Speck had tortured her with a tattoo of knife pricks, almost as he was getting joy out of this. And lying on the bed above her head and resting against the wall, there were two dolls. And Valentina was laying on her stomach on the floor. Her hands were unbound with one arm underneath her and the other folded behind the small of her back. There was a deep six inch slash in her throat. It was so hideous exposed her voice box and her head. It lay in a normal, enormous, excuse me, enormous. Oh my God. I can't say that right now. Enormous circle of blood. And lying in an X position right next to Valentina was the body of Merlita Galurio. Uh, Merlita was on her back, faced up, her buttocks resting on those of Valentina. And Merlita's wrists and ankles were also tied. And around her neck was a piece of bed sheet tied in two tight knots at the back. And there were four stab wounds in her neck, which was... Man, this, this even just saying it is just... God, this is a really unsettling feel, which is gross, and her neck was grossly dislocated. And Speck had dubbed Merlita on top of Valentina, and then threw a blue flowery bed quilt over both bodies, and the quilt was heavily, heavily stained with blood. The double bunks where Suzanne and Marianne had planned to sleep on were neatly made and undisturbed. Nina's purse sat on the floor bunk, a large pocket watch hung on the wall next to it, suspended from the top bunk. And resting on a dresser was a blood-spattered nurse's cap. And above it was tacked with the sign, the emergency room, where the action is. And this blows my mind. This is worse than a horror scene out of any book, out of any movie. Right. And there's so much anger in this. And so much hatred, it feels like. It feels like these women personally attacked this individual the way they were shown and presented and the way they were attacked. And it, it just makes me so mad because all these women wanted to do was save lives mm-hmm. and, help and, and, and to get it snuffed out in, in the matter. Like it's just, it's just one of those just really fucked up cruel, uh, ironies. And it's, it's, it, it really, it breaks my heart. It really breaks, and it makes me so angry because Richard Speck should never, never be released. And I'm honestly surprised that he's survived this long in jail without being killed. No, he's, uh, well, he's actually dead. And we'll, but we'll um, save that for, for, for uh, part two. Well, but, I but mean. The, the, the fact that he, you know, survived as long as he did. Yeah. Yeah, that's just one of those things is that. And, and we will talk about that in part two. Like, why didn't he, you know, get, you know, what happened to John Wayne Gacy or what happened to Ted Bundy? Like, that, you know, something that we will be talking about in length as we, you know, more. Yeah, and, that, and that's what I mean is he, the way he survived in prison is completely different from what I've ever seen right. when it comes to serial killers and individuals like that. He went from somebody who, you know, had the, the, the feeling of serial killers where he's got to 
being a bitch. So we'll discuss that later, though. Um, but back to um, all of these victims. Um, we had Patricia as well, who was actually found lying on her back on the tile floor. Her hands were actually tied behind her back and her feet were unbound. Around her neck was a piece of bed sheet tied very, very tightly. And again, it was knotted twice at the back. She was wearing a yellow nightgown that had been pulled up to her breast and a pair of white undergarments that had been partially rolled down. And this actually showed the upper region of her pubic hair. And she had severe, severe hemorrhaging of the stomach, which was caused by a kid. And on the floor were several towels and a white nurse's stocking that was soaked in blood. So this this probably, oh my God, is worse Worse than probably a, a massacre is probably what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and Speck's devastation was so totally that you could only recognize a couple of the women. And that was Gloria Davy, Pat Matusek, and Pamela Wilking. The other women would have been identified by relatives and friends at the county morgue. And after autopsy technicians had to wash off all the blood and restore the mutilated bodies as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't even imagine not only what these women went through, but With just the, family, the crime like, Yeah, just, just having to, you know, not only... I would be so angry. Yeah, not only, you know, be awakened with the news because, you know, this... Many of them have to wake up to, you know, to get that call and to, I mean, just imagine... To, to be, you know, in their shoes. I've never wanted somebody to suffer more than I do this gentleman who... Yeah, that's being, that's being a compliment, compliment, gentlemen. Shit. I'm... Yeah, I can't even believe I'm being polite about this. This piece of shit. I'm just... It, it just blows my mind that the way that, you know, how everybody's obsessed with murder now because that's the end thing and mm-hmm. they're making all these documentaries on you know, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, but Richard Speck needs to be not talked about to be remembered, but the victims need to be remembered. Right. And these signs of violence needs to be recognized. Right. But that's the, like, it, it's the baffling thing because, you know, Chicago, at that point, Chicago hadn't seen a murder or a uh, a scale like this since uh, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which you guys can find on the archives at SoundCloud and on uh, Illinois with Fa- Bird and Cam on Facebook. Mm-hmm. But you know, even then, as brutal the and and and, and vicious as that was, there was a motive that you know this was a gang. This is a gangland and. The victims in that particular episode, yeah, they weren't too, uh, they weren't too innocent. Uh, but, I mean, even still, murder is murder. But, like, again, Chicago hadn't seen a, you know, they hadn't seen an incident like that in, like, 40-something years. So, you know, not just, and there was seven men. These are eight women. And the, the brutal way that they were found and that they died, it's just one of those things is that, it really sticks with you. Like, I, when I was doing the notes, and when I was a kid, like, I don't remember, it like, the, like, because I didn't go in detail as, you know, as we were talking about. They never talked about it's, this case like they did yeah, all the other cases. This and is like I feel one of those this things. Week. And again, I'm going to have a really tough time trying to sleep tonight because it's just, like, yeah. it's just very, You're it's fine. not for the weak and hard. It's not, really not. It's, it's, and it, it's, it's scary too because mm-hmm. there are people we've gone so far away from studying the brain and just the like I get it people don't some people don't believe in evolution and that's fine mm-hmm. um, some people you know believe Adam and Eve some people believe you know their religious views but science says that evolution is here and this is prime examples of somebody's brain that is not like normal humans mm-hmm. that is not like the normal pack that is not like and it and not only does it need to be look the brain needs to be investigated but we need to figure out 
if this type of thing is genetic, how it shows up, what is it? Is it a chromosome? Oh, we is will, it... oh, we'll be talking, I'm telling you, in part two, your, your questions will be fucking answered. And it's just as bizarre as Richard Speck himself, so, like, it's, it's very, just very, yeah. It just makes me so angry, because, like... Even if there was a motive, like, who would ever fucking, you know, just actually go through just eight women you've never seen before, never even interact with before, and just viciously sexually assault, beat, and and kill them? Like, during this time, too, it's like, okay, so you hated your stepfather. He was, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm just going to throw out there, he was abusive and he was an alcoholic. But during that time, that's how people dealt with their problems was alcohol. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of people who were alcoholics back then. And during that time, I don't know how abusive his father, stepfather was, but none of his other relatives turned out the way he did. So I can't, I can't use that as an excuse because then you get the whole, oh, the two brothers that grew up with an alcoholic father, one turned out like him and the other one didn't. Mm-hmm. You hate, you said you hated everything he was and became everything he was and more. So like, you must really hate yourself so much. Right. But this doesn't give you a right to do what you did. Like, why the women? Mm-hmm. Why not? Why not your father, who's the one who treated you like that? Right. Right. It's just one of those things. That's not something that we don't advocate murder. But that yeah. said, you know, if there ever was, you know, one of those situations that had happened. It could be, you know, well, it's a justification where, again, don't advocate murder, you know, but yeah, don't you murder, see, murder you is never an option. why he did what the things he did. It's just that as if he picked the woman at random and just proceeded to do these vicious, just morbid things. Like, I don't know if he decided one day, I mean, I understand the steps he tried to take in to better himself and it didn't work out and he resulted back to what he knows. Mm-hmm. I Maybe get so. that. But right. Like, and also, you know, again, you know, being passed over for assignment and, you know, I, I'm understanding the frustration, constantly. but like, again, as with his probation officer, it's just one of those things is that he, you know, he's but looking it's to like fight anybody. Like at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like you're an adult, act like one. Right. People get rejected all the time and handle it better than than what you've what you're doing. Mm-hmm. People have had, you know, the whole saying of your life may suck, but there's somebody out there who has it worse. You right. know, like yeah, exactly. Come on. So right before we end, uh, we mentioned uh, Cora Amaro, who was the one who let Specklin in the first place, and her story story is something really astounding. So she crawled out from under under the bunk on the south wall nearest the window and terrified that Speck would return at any minute as he was walking the uh, the victims one by one. She crawled her way backward across the floor, walking from rocking from side to side on her stomach until she reached the double bunk in the west wall, the place where originally Melita and Valentina had tried to hide. So she Escape Richard Speck. And, That's awesome. Yeah, and as of this day, you know, she's, she's still the reason, alive. Yeah. And she's a hero. She's a true hero. That's all I have. She just, I've, she's a true hero to do what she did mm-hmm. in this situation where she probably felt like she couldn't do anything or she felt helpless. Yeah. And um, like I said, uh, that said, it is, it, this is part one of uh, Richard Speck. Um, part two is we're going to be recording uh, tomorrow. We're going to be talking about uh, the subsequent manhunt looking for this man. Um, we're going to be this talking piece about, of shit. Yeah, man, piece of shit. We're going to talk about the trial. We're going to talk about the aftermath. And it, that shit is just a crazy story in of itself. And, I mean, it's just a lot to dwell into that, you know, just one part is just not simply not enough. So, I mean, yeah, what more can be said that we haven't been saying for the last hour? I mean, it's just somebody, this is a fucking monster. No answers or buts about it. There's no, there's no ambiguity, ambiguity or slippery slope. This guy is the definition of a monster. Here we are Mm -hmm. 
you know, currently trying to promote, not promote the life of a serial killer, but dig deeper into the mind of a serial killer. Mm -hmm. And this is somebody I feel needs not a story for himself, but the victims need, need a story. The victims deserve to be heard. Victims who dedicated their lives to save others need to be heard. And yeah, I just, I'm so glad that we can, um, that Cora is here to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Not, we don't yeah, personally so have her, but. <laughs> well, yeah, but, um, yeah, that's, uh, we'll be back part two, uh, tomorrow evening. If you guys just listening to this as it comes off, but, um, yeah, this is just, this one of the things is really, it stuck, stuck with us. Like it, it just bugs me. Like, I just want to go and on and on talk about a, it. Yeah, please do. The floor it is just, all yours. I mean, oh my gosh. No, I mean, in general, we'll, we're going to be talking about this all tomorrow, but it just, it just blows my mind because I don't know if he knew this is what he was going to do. If he mm-hmm. thought in the back of my, his mind, if I get rejected one more time, I am going to blow this place down. And I know to some people that's just, talk but mm-hmm. to others they take it very seriously so right. i just and it sucks because how 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 did he pick that that specific right location? see i don't know oh. if it was a rejection in the lines of what we've seen with uh elliot roger or like any of these fucking incel cases or what have you not i mean yeah. it, it just comes off of okay he's drunk and he's just this totally different beast in the worst possible way in that it just happened to see unsuspecting uh, vulnerable prey and for whatever reason he does these things it's just I I don't think it's it's gray in to me in my in my opinion it's gray in the sense of like a motive why we know the who we know the uh, what we know the the when and the where, but that why, and I just and, don't think it's that clear cut in my in my opinion. And I agree too. And this is, and I am glad you brought up the whole. Oh well, he was rejected. So like, this is the whole thing that has been going on for the last year, where you know, you know, the whole feminist movement, where you know we need to get that whole mindset out of men's head that it's you were rejected, it's because of this woman, it's because of this. No, you were rejected because of who you are as a person. Do not blame somebody else for who you are. And during this time, it was blame everybody else but myself. I'm mm-hmm. not, there's nothing wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all a little screwed up, which is fine, but we have to own up to it or it's going to eat away at us and it's going to destroy us. And from what we were talking about, it wasn't uh his ex-wife his ex-mother-in-law that he hated it was his father so why is he right but then that's it he was abusive to him so like uh, it's it's just one of those just mind-numbing like just fucked up like he just want again like you said earlier what like it's one of those things i don't want to get ahead of ourselves about this his brain what is just in the minds of these guys and why they do yeah. the things they do. Like, at least from a, and, and I'm going to call just botch that, but, and from a, from yeah. a, yeah, it's just very, just. And, and most people you see have a very low IQ, so don't totally understand the concept of right and wrong, but this guy isn't a dumb person. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a low IQ. Uh, yeah. He knows what he's doing. To get around the system to benefit himself, or mm-hmm. he did know what he was doing, um, and we'll go into detail about that in the second part too, guys. All right. So that said, um, guys, thank you so much uh, for listening. Um, you can find us on. Uh, I, I think let me get this guy. I might. I, I think I know yours by heart. You can find Cam on Instacam six thirty on IG. Uh, you can find also find her on Twitter on. I like stuff 630 and you can find her on Cam Ebrin on Facebook. Um, you can find me on bird underscore your underscore enthusiasm on IG. You can find me on Birdman for America on Twitter and you can find me on Birdman Iceberg on Facebook. And also, of course, our 
group page, um, IG, uh, Killer Dog with Bird and Cam. Uh, same and don't name forget, guys, we're going to be getting the website soon, so you guys better Word? be ready. Okay, I just fucking found this out right, like, oh, shit, we're going to get a oh, website? Oh, it's happening. It's happening. Uh, I'll get it started, and, you know, you do your thing, and we'll oh. just make it rock. Get ready, everybody. I'm excited. Uh, oh, man, this is like, okay. All right. Well, that said, um, again, we will be back uh, tomorrow evening. Uh, if you guys are listening to this, whenever you do, you will be probably be back in a few minutes. So that for Cam, this is Burr signing out, riding off into the sunset, and again, be there or be killed. Be killed, bitches. There we go. Oh my god.